I would have you take your Bibles and turn open to the Gospel of Matthew as we continue to work our way through that book, Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Ah, it is good to have a full room and to hear you sing. It's awfully good. Remind you that before we hear the word read uh, this morning is that we have a living Christ. And that means that He is with us. It only means that He is with us. He speaks to us. But He speaks to you this morning, and He does so through the Word read and through the Word preached. Uh, so let's hear from Him this morning, our living Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do pray that You would speak to us Your truth, and we would hear You, our living Savior, that You speak a living Word to us. May it give life to our souls. May you receive the glory and the praise that is due your name. In Christ's name, amen. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. This is the holy, inerrant word of God. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades. The word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. I have a couple of reoccurring dreams uh, that have happened over the course of my life. One involves me a swimming pool and a shark. I won't repeat that one this morning. Uh, another is maybe something that's common to a lot of us. Uh, it is a dream that I have, a nightmare that I have, that I am in a high school classroom that 
I can see very clearly. And I'm sitting in my desk and I have the realization that I have missed weeks and weeks and weeks of classes. And the teacher is getting ready to pass out an exam. And in my dream, and usually when I awake, I am in a panic. Uh, why? Because I wasn't prepared. Maybe multiplies for me because I grew up as a boy all my life as a Boy Scout. And any of you that have had any kind of direct or indirect relationship with the Boy Scouts, you know the motto. The motto is, be prepared. I'm going to give away this text, Jesus' point in this text, the reason for his parable, the reason for his sermon, and the reason for my sermon at the very beginning this morning. It's just one. It's be prepared. Be prepared. I want to take a look at how Jesus communicates this as we work this out a little bit on this Easter Sunday. Jesus tells this parable, and the parable that he tells to bring home this point that you and I need to be prepared, he uses an illustration. And the illustration is of a wedding. What better illustration could he use? For all of you wives in this room, you spent years dreaming and preparing in different ways, and then when it came, plotting and planning all for that one day, that day that you were preparing for to be wed. And you made graphs, and you purchased flowers, and you made phone calls, and you sent emails, and and every father in the room says, and you spent money, and you spent money, and you spent money. It was all kinds of preparing for that day. And so Jesus uses this imagery of a wedding to speak about the need for preparation. The way that he maps it out, it is something that would have been familiar to everyone in the ancient Near East. This would have been common in Palestine that a wedding looked this way. You had the bridegroom, he would gather together with his groomsmen and with his friends and with his family at his house, and they would live it up together and celebrate together. And then after a little while, they would then all gather together and they would parade from the bridegroom's house to the bride's house. And at the bride's house would be the bride and all of her friends and all of her family and they would all meet together there, and they would observe some ceremonies together there at the bride's house. And then when it got late at night, when the sun went down, they would then all parade with lit torches back to the groom's house, the bridegroom's house. And there they would carry on the festivities through the night. Often at this time in... Palestine, this party would go on for days. It would be loud, it would be lively, it would be joyous. It was a kind of wedding palooza. They did it right back then. It is such a scene that we have here in this parable, and Jesus tells us that there are ten virgins that are gathered. And no doubt these ten virgins are gathered together at the bride's house. And as they're at the bride's house, they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. And he's delayed. 
We don't know why he's delayed. Maybe he's living it up with the men at his house before he makes his way, but he's delayed. Frankly, it doesn't really matter why he's delayed. He's the bridegroom, so it's his prerogative. I was, uh, I've officiated probably dozens and dozens and dozens of weddings, and uh, the first few weddings that I did, I, I would show up about a half hour early to the rehearsal. I thought, I, I don't want to be late. I, I want to be on time, and uh, it matters that I'm there. And it quickly, I quickly figured out it really doesn't matter that I'm there. Uh, it matters when the bride and the groom show up, and they never show up a half hour early. So I don't anymore. Uh, it's his prerogative. He's the bridegroom. He's slow in coming, and so these ten women are waiting, and there's nothing left for them to do, and so they decide to lay down for the night and to sleep. Jesus doesn't chide them for that. He doesn't call that out. But then the bridegroom arrives, and we're told that he arrives at midnight. And when he arrives at midnight, all of these ten virgins, they all jump up, and they all light their lamps. Because he has come. But here's where we see a distinction among these ten virgins. We're told that five of them are foolish and five are wise. That's the scene. What distinguishes the foolish from the wise? What distinguishes them? It appears that they all went to sleep. It appears that they all rose immediately when he showed up at midnight. It appears that they all lit their torches and that they were all going out to meet him. This was true for both the foolish and the wise. Torches at this time, you would have taken a stick and you would have wrapped rags around it and then you would have dipped that stick into oil, and then you would light that oil on fire, and the oil would be consumed. And so eventually the fire would go out, and so you would need to re-dip your torch into oil so that there was more oil again on the rags, and that it could be lit on fire again. And this is where we see the difference between the wise and the foolish. The wise had more oil to dip their torches into. The foolish did not. And when the foolish virgins begin to see their torches go out, they turn to the wise virgins who had oil. Their torches are also going out, but they have oil to re-dip their torches into. And so the foolish ask the wise, can you share some of your oil with us? The response is there will not be enough. This isn't rude. It's just simply fact in the parable. If they were to divide the oil that they had, then there wouldn't be enough for either one of them. And so the foolish virgins are sent. They're sent away to go into the town, to the marketplace to try and find some more oil to dip their torches in. It's a reminder, parables 
are just meant to convey one idea, one thing. This isn't a parable about how you are to treat your neighbor. This isn't a parable about how to exercise wedding hospitality. This parable has one purpose. It wants you to recognize one thing. Be prepared. Are you prepared? What are we to prepare for? Why does Jesus tell this parable? What does He concern that we be prepared for? The answer is His return. His return. It's not allegory to understand Jesus as speaking of Himself here as the bridegroom. He has just finished, as we've seen week after week for the past number of weeks, that the disciples came to Jesus with their questions. And one of those questions was, Jesus, when are you returning? When will be the end of the age? And so Jesus tells them this parable that He is the bridegroom that will come for His bride. And he's telling them it may feel like a delay, but I am coming. He's saying you may be tempted to not prepare adequately. He's saying to them, and he's saying to us, be prepared. Are you prepared? Makes me tremble to think how many won't be prepared when he comes. Maybe how many in this room sitting here this morning, you won't be prepared when He comes. I want to offer four encouragements from this parable this morning. Four. The first is be prepared for Christ's inevitable coming. Be prepared for Christ's inevitable coming. This week, we reflected upon His death on Good Friday. When Christ died, He died as a bridegroom for His bride. Today, we celebrate His resurrection, and when He rose, He rose as a bridegroom coming out to embrace His bride. If He died for her and if He rose for her, He will not and He cannot forget her. He's coming. Are you prepared? I want you to think about this with me. When we want to get a guarantee from someone or someone wants to get a guarantee from us, we will often do what we call a deposit. That's just... This person says, well, I want this ring. And we say, great, that's wonderful. Give me a deposit. I want this house. Great, wonderful. Give me a deposit. And you know that when someone lays something down, when they surrender something to you, that then they are probably returning for that thing. Now, it matters the, the amount that is given, the size of what is given for this thing. If I decide to buy a house from you and you say, give me a $5 deposit, I may not return for that $5 deposit. But if you say, give me a $50,000 deposit and I give that to you, you're confident I'm returning. 
But you think about a man that maybe is getting ready to go on a long trip and decides that he wants this thing from you. And he gives you everything that he has. He gives all of his spare clothes. He gives all the furniture that he has. He gives all the property that he owns. He gives all of his savings accounts, all of his retirement accounts to you. And he says here, he surrenders it all. We would all look at that man and we'd say, we know he's coming back. He gave everything that he had. He's coming back. Jesus not only gave everything he had, he gave everything he was for the sake of his bride. He's coming back. It's inevitable. He can't not come back. Are you prepared? Second, don't rely upon others for what you must be prepared for. Don't rely upon others for what you must be prepared for. Notice that the preparedness of the wise in this parable had no benefit for the foolish. Though they're all the same in status, they're all virgins, each stands alone. Preparedness can't be shared. These foolish virgins, they will pound upon the door and they will cry out and they will ask and plead to be admitted entrance into this wedding feast, but it will all be for nothing. Why? Because the bridegroom is not gracious? No. It's because when the time came, when the hour came, they weren't prepared. I want you to hear me you to hear me. Some of you this morning, you think of your spouse, your husband or wife, and you, you see their godliness and you see their pursuit of Christ and their love for Christ, and you're banking upon it. Their preparedness is not your preparedness. You have to be prepared. Children, children, your parents' preparedness, readiness for Jesus to come back is not yours. You have to be ready for Jesus coming back. Some of you have friends that are dear Christians and you love to talk with them about Christ and talk about the things of Christ and ask them questions about the Scriptures and they are a wonderful example to you. But their preparedness is not your preparedness. You have to be prepared. You. Are you prepared? I told you this five or more years ago. I told the high school and junior high students this at a tent meeting this past summer. I believe it's fair game again. Uh, it often goes through my mind when I think about this. It was a number of years ago, my family for my birthday decided uh, to take me to a Cubs game for my birthday. 
And when you go to Chicago, you can't just go to Chicago. This is, this is unsolicited, free pastoral advice. You have to go and partake of Chicago deep dish pizza when you go. It's required. And so we went for pizza, but because we went for pizza, we were late for the national anthem and late for the throwing out of the first pitch. And so we arrive outside of Wrigley Field, and, and it is just a sea of humanity. And so I take with one hand, I take Grayson, my daughter, and she has my one hand, and she, with her other hand, holds a hold of Leah, my wife, and Leah, with her other hand, is holding a hold of Ethan's hand, and I, with my free hand, are just separating the seas before us. And we make our way up to the entrance to the stadium, and there, there's a bottleneck. There's a bottleneck because you have to go through a metal detector in a turnstile. And every person has to go through one by one. You can't push someone through. You can't pull someone through. You can't carry somebody through. You can't bank upon somebody else and say, ah, they get to go through, so I get to go through. No, you have to go through. I love, it is one of my favorite things in life is to walk into Wrigley Field and go up the concourse, those dark concourses, and then you get out of the concourse and you emerge. And you emerge into brilliant sunlight. And the grass is so green, unlike my front yard. And there is ivy on all of the walls. And there are flags blowing in the wind. And there is just this palpable buzz in the crowd. And there are people on the rooftops across from the stadium. And there are more people than you can possibly count. You know what? Every single one of them came in one by one. can't rely on another. You have to be prepared. You can't rely upon another's oil, another's preparedness. You have to be prepared. It's how it is with the kingdom. Are you prepared? Third, don't count Christ's delay as indifference. Don't count Christ's delay as indifference. Why? Why hasn't he returned yet? Why has he waited this long? It's been 2,000 plus years. What we celebrate this morning, it is 2,000 plus years ago that Christ came into this world and lived for sinners, that He suffered for sinners, that He died for sinners, that He was buried for sinners, that He was raised on the third day, what we celebrate today for sinners. Why hasn't He returned? Why hasn't He come? I want you to think about what He's doing right now, what we know We know that he said to his disciples that when I go, I go 
to prepare a place for you. Jesus is preparing a place for His bride, whereupon His mind. The writer of Hebrews says that he ever lives, he ever lives to intercede for us. Even now he lives at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, praying for us. We're on his mind. We're told that he is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory and that he is ruling and that he is reigning over all all things. He is directing everything for the glory of God and for the good of His people, His bride. We're on His mind. He's not indifferent to His bride. Then what keeps our groom from coming? You take a groom, you can't keep him from His bride. Every groom is looking forward to that day that his wedding is consummated with that bride. I love it. You, you can walk up to a young couple that is engaged and you can just ask the question. You don't even have to give it parameters. You just ask this question, how many days? You have to tell them what you're talking about. Just say, how many days? And they'll say, well, 53 days. Who keeps count of stuff like that? It is only engaged couples and people looking forward to retirement. And yet he waits. What's he waiting for? If we're so precious to him, if we're so lovely to him, why does he wait? And the answer is he's waiting for us. He's waiting for his bride to be ready. I remember hearing a story about a famous 20th century pastor's funeral. I won't mention the name because I'm not sure if the story is true. Uh, but a man that many of us have benefited from or are familiar with, he died. And at his funeral, it was a large funeral to celebrate his life and mourn his death. There were two particular preacher theologians that spoke, a father-son that spoke at his funeral. And the son got up and he spoke first and he spoke about what he called the untimely and premature death of this famous pastor. He had died at a relatively young age. The way it's been told to me is his father then got up at the funeral and he rebuked his son in front of everybody. And he rebuked his son because he said, with God there is nothing that is untimely. There's nothing that's premature. Whatever God wills, He wills according to what is right and good. And He accomplishes His purposes in His timing. And it's always good. So why is the bridegroom delayed from our view in coming for the bride? He wants her to be prepared. Second Peter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. Instead, He is patient for your sakes, not wanting anyone to perish, but all 
to come to repentance. He's patient. He's patient. And he's patient for our sake. Look, I can guarantee you the bridegroom longs to be with his bride more than the bride longs to be with the bridegroom. I can guarantee you that. Because we're sinners. His love is pure. His love is perfect. His love is complete for his bride. And he longs to be with her in all her glory. But he waits. He waits because he wants every single sinner that he died on that bloody cross for to be saved. He waits because he wants every single one of his sheep that have wandered off and are in danger to be brought into the fold. He waits. Because he wants his word preached to the ends of the earth so that his light comes into the darkness at every four corners of the earth so that every one of those that he purchased from every tongue, tribe, and language might exercise faith in him. And so he waits. He waits so that his bride is prepared. Are you prepared? As I know, even as he came forth from the tomb, so he is coming forth from heaven. He died for his bride, he was resurrected for his bride, and he shall return for his bride. That's a guarantee. Finally, know that when he returns, it's final. It's final. We're told in verse 10, and the door was shut. He, he brings the ready into the wedding feast, and he shuts the door behind, and all that was outside is shut out. And they are wonderfully shut in. They're shut in with this one that loved them so much. This creator who came into his creation to live for his bride. This one who is willing to not only live for his bride, but suffer for his bride. Not only willing to suffer for his bride, but die for his bride. Not only to die for his bride, but be buried for his bride. And not only be buried for his bride, but was resurrected for his bride. And now his bride with all the angels and the archangels are gathered together in this place with the door shut. And we're inside with him. With him. Who loves us with an ineffable love. And the door is closed and all that threatened us without. It's closed. No longer is pain and suffering and disease and death and dying and demons and devils allowed in. It's all shut out. 
And we're safe within with Him. Did we have to wait? Yes. Was it painful at times to wait? Yes. Will the wait be worth it? Yes. No matter how hard the road is that we travel to get there, we will not have one regret once we are there. Are you prepared? You can be. You can be today. Notice that's how he closes this passage. He says, you know neither the day nor the hour. You can be prepared today. You can be prepared this hour. You but need to look to Him in faith. Look. He lived for His bride. He died for His bride. He was resurrected for His bride. He is returning for His bride. That's written in blood. It's written in blood. He's coming. Are you prepared? He's risen indeed. and He's coming back indeed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we exalt you this afternoon as our King of glory lived and died and was resurrected for sinners. We are thankful. Thankful that you so cherish your bride that you are willing to wait. We long for your return. And you shall take us home to glory with you. We, where we shall enjoy your ineffable love day after day for all of eternity. So we pray that you would help us to be prepared. May there not be one soul in this room that is left unprepared for your return. And all of us that are prepared, we pray with the apostle, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. For we long to be with our bridegroom. It's in your strong name that we pray. Amen.